Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Bookwise, I would say my life is a combination of eat, pray, love, plus hillbilly elegy, plus lean in, and just a little bit of James Bond because I had to deal with my boat getting stolen in the Bahamas and I literally flew in a like six-seater plane into the island where they filmed Thunderball. So that's where I'm at. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warriors, and welcome back to Suncast. If you are new here, I want to say thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention by lending us your ears and the only non-renewable resource that you've got that of course is your time today's entrepreneur is someone that i've come to appreciate for her tenacity grit insight and courage alina folks and i have been venture partners together for more than a year in a project that many of you will have heard of by now especially those who are regular listeners that of course is the investment fund called climate avengers today we're going to explore Alina's path to becoming an investor, an advisor for climate tech startups. We also shared details at long last about how Climate Avengers podcast came to be. That's right. It is finally, finally, really actually happening. In fact, savvy followers will have already recognized and listened to the trailer that dropped right before this in the podcast feed and launched yesterday. And you will have already subscribed to the show. If you haven't, I want to ask you to do so. So in a departure from the 590 plus episodes of Tradition Today, instead of asking you to check out our back catalog and subscribe to Suncast, I'm asking you to look back only one episode. Listen to the Climate Avengers trailer episode and then go to resourcelabs.co and subscribe to the show. And give us your email so that we can notify you on May 2nd when the first episodes are released. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. In today's episode, we are going to take a slightly different approach to exploring the career journey. And I get a chance and the honor to have a dialogue that is going to be a little bit freeform with someone who has been in many of your shoes and and mine as someone who has grown up not from a privileged family, from the Midwest, who was plunged into a job that she hated and found her way to tech, has been a tech founder and has found her way into how her story can empower others. There's so much to unpack here, including a little project that we're working on that we're going to talk a lot about today and and announce the imminent publishing of But before all of that, I have the profound privilege of introducing someone that I've observed from a distance and become friends with and and learned to admire all the ways that you are strong and vulnerable and insightful. We'll get into some of that and more, I'm sure, today. Alina, folks, welcome to Suncast. Thank you for having me. It's a great privilege to be here. So I want to thank our mutual friend, Kyle Cherick, 
and our founding partner of Climate Avengers who brought us together <laughs> for making this possible. And I just want to say thank you in a formal way because I've learned so much from the two of you and I'm really, I really feel privileged to be along for the ride on Climate Avengers. We'll talk more about what that is and, um, and why it matters and how we're helping people both apply their talents in climate and their treasure. So before we do any of that, I really want to, I'm going to take a slightly different approach. I've sort of modified the, the Suncast podcast format to dig into a specific business model and then, and then sort of step back into history. But you've got a very interesting story that as you started to unpack it, for me, very recently, I was just kind of sat back in awe. You've thought a lot about how to tell your story, and I don't know that I can tell it any better than you by asking thought-provoking questions. The thing I would say is, by way of introduction, can you tell me what it was like, in your words, to grow up on mile eight and a half, as you call it? And that's a throwback <laughs> to our generation who, yes. who knows what eight and a half, who, who knows what eight mile is. So I'll let you yes. take it from there as you as you see fit. Yeah, I. Grew up in at eight and a half mile. My high school was a nine mile. Detroit was there. It was a scary place. It was just in that suburb, just north of Detroit. But also there is this gross point community. But I was walking distance to a private park for the gross point communities. They had a water slide. They had, they had like the pool, all the cool things. And I could not go to it because I didn't have I wasn't living in Gross Point. So it was like this glorious, beautiful pool with the water slide that you can only dream of as a kid with all the, the turns and everything. That was off limits. And it was right next to the um, Etzel Ford house as well. So it's just, you really felt the social economic structures there. So that's part of it. And then there's an element of race. My high school was... 30% African-American, the rest very pale white, a lot of uh, Polish-German community. Everyone basically worked in the auto industry. I'm third generation automotive. Growing up, I'd rather talk about cars than my feelings. That was the entire ethos growing up. So moving out to the West Coast and learning what emotions are and what communication is has been a journey and continues to this day. And just being part of Detroit, like that Metro Detroit community, you had to figure it out on your own or figure out like, I just knew there had to be something better. So I just just went in that direction. Go to the city, which was Chicago, which was you know far enough away yet close enough. I was able to take a $20 mega bus to get there yeah. back home. It was fine. Like the right level of safety and distance. Not going to U of M because that was 45 minutes away from home. I did not want mm -hmm. my dad showing up. Not far enough. <laughs> not far enough. But going to Loyola, my dad dropped me at the curb with my stuff and just left. He didn't even come in to the door. What? It was weird. Anyway, so just really interesting dynamics. And my dad didn't have a four-year degree. I kind of just figured out, it's like, okay, I'm smart. People tell me I'm smart. I'm supposed to go to college. And there was no direction given, none at all. So I, yeah. uh, Midwestern wise, uh, there's a lot of bowling themed things, but also my uncle was a professional bowler, is a professional what? bowler. He, yes. Get out of town. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can look up his trading card. It's Harry Sullins. 
I'm doing this right now. I didn't know there were bowling trading cards. Are you freaking kidding me right now? And my mom actually had a scholarship to Michigan State for the girls bowling team. And she was near Mount St. Helens when it blew on a bowling tournament tour. Just like ridiculous. So I had my own custom bowling ball growing up. My uncle has his like pro shop where you get your custom bowling balls. And with the church, we go bowling Sunday nights. And anyway, so for bowling, my perspective in life was just like, you have bumper, your bumper bowling. You just head in one direction until you're like, oh, boop. Okay. We're going to go this direction a bit more. Yeah. Right. So oh my um, goodness. that was my career perspective or my life perspective to get out. I just know I needed to get, I knew I just needed to get going. And then I could just like bump my way towards a strike. That is amazing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wait, what was your, what was your uncle's name? Harry Sullins, S-U-L-L-I-N-S. He's alive okay. and kicking and still tours like in the senior PGA. Oh my gosh. I'm on the Harry Sullins page on bowl.com. Hall of Famer. Yes. <laughs> Harry Sullins. He has a Hall of Fame video. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You but, are. Yeah. Yeah. You're um, your legacy of a <laughs> Hall of Fame. <laughs> this is awesome. I've probably, my dad used to watch the PBA on like Sunday afternoons. Oh my God, and, yes. by, and by watch, what I mean, what I mean really is like, it would come on after the the NASCAR race and he'd be sitting uh-huh. there snoozing and there's like bowling and he'd wake up and I'd go to turn it. And he's like, no, 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 don't turn it. This is good. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, dad, I'd rather watch cats lick themselves. Than <laughs> but it's, no it's, offense, no yeah. offense, Uncle Harry. <laughs> But did you see the picture of the, the trading card? Because the trading card is so epic. No, I don't see yeah, the trading so just, card. Just, so just Harry Sullivan's trading card. On the okay, Google. let me go find it. All right, we're going to and we're going to link this in the show notes. <laughs> trading card. This is so fun. This is a lot. Uh, this is a lot to take in. All at once. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, Elena! I'm yeah. so glad that we that we got on bowling <laughs> and that you just shared that with us because that is uh, so fabulous. What was amazing as well is when I was driving out to California. So I grew up in Metro Detroit, undergrad in Chicago, studied abroad in Rome and Beijing. I was interested in China. I went straight into grad school at UC San Diego. I wanted to work in international relations. UC San Diego, top 10 grad program, the only one not in a place with snow. And the UC San Diego campus is extraordinary. You like are... Truly coffee shop. Yeah. It looks, it looks out on the ocean with like parasailers and then like para, yeah, parasail flyer paragliders. paragliders. And then the other direction was looking towards Temecula and there'd be hot air balloons over the mountains around sunset. And it was like worth it. Also, I had never been across the Mississippi before, except for a synchronized skating tournament in St. Louis. Whole nother thing. Uh, so first time across the Mississippi, we'll just go with that. I'm driving my beater car from high school, a 97 Plymouth Breeze. I'm in Arizona at a coffee shop. I pick up the newspaper and there's a picture of Uncle Harry about winning a bowling tournament in Arizona. And I'm no. like, what? Uncle Harry, what are you doing in the coffee shop in Arizona? <laughs> and just, it's just a cloud of witnesses, these people that follow you and they take and they remind you of who you are and where you're from. Speaking of yes. um, who you are and where you're from, family of engineers without degrees, as you describe it, 
grandfather famously, uh, or at least in your family, more famous than Uncle Harry, perhaps, worked on which famous car? The Mustang. The Mustang. The Mustang. Would he be would he be proud to see the Mach E? No, no, that's a terrible, terrible existence of a vehicle. That's the thing. It's like it's not a car unless it like it roars and it's yeah. got like got a lot of chrome. It's like a real car. And how did your parents meet? Uh, my parents met designing vehicles, so they were both draftsmen in the auto industry, and they would essentially draw how to put engines together or parts together or design new things. And this is pre-internet, pre-computer. And my dad made that jump into the digital space. But uh, yeah, we there's still drafting supplies in the basement. Didn't you tell me your, um, one of your parents worked on like the seatbelt height adjustment thing? Yeah. So uh, my mom stayed home, stay at home mom. My dad, we would go to the auto shows and he'd just like lay on the ground looking up at like the vehicles. It was very embarrassing. Uh, but I went to my first auto show when I was in utero and I went to them until like I would turned 18 and yeah, he worked on like the seat adjustment thing. And like, there was a, a adjustable seat pedal thing. Also like these little air vents on the side, you can sometimes still see them. People can like put them on that are fake, but like real air vents. He worked on the Buick lacrosse concept no vehicle. Yeah, before it evolved into a real vehicle. My mom owned a Buick LaCrosse. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, the concept vehicles are all different. What was dinner like? I mean, what was the conversation for you as a child around the table with all this sort of steeped in, in vehicle and sort of design culture? I think it's more of like when we would drive around, like, first off, a whole activity is just like, let's go for a drive. It's like your activity to do. And you just be like, oh, that's a nice paint job. It's like, oh, look at those rear view lights. And that's like my entire way of perceiving the world. My kids are so perceptive of every solar panel, wind turbine, <laughs> anything. Right. <laughs> and, that, and, they, and like electric cars as well. They're mm -hmm. just like, they notice it. And people are like, how did you even see that? And they're like, what do you mean? It's obvious. Like that is a solar canopy with, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. Um, I totally identify. Yes. Um, <laughs> but you're in the environment, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah, dinner table, like we had to make sure like dad had to make sure to that there weren't any like greasy parts left there. And we had to always have a supply of Fells naphtha, which is a very strong, abrasive soap to get the oil out. And the garage was filled with probably 50 vintage motorcycle carcasses at some point. So we're talking. Oh, my gosh. Mid so like fun. 1970s Hondas and Yamahas, uh, ranging from a, a 90cc to a, a 975. Amazing. It was all motorhead culture. I think that every element of what we experience in our childhood informs how we approach the world. And there's one sort of missing element here that I think is important thread to pull on because it helps us see a bit of a bit more of your sort of interaction in the world and kind of how you think through it. Maybe there are a couple actually, but mm. the one that I'm thinking specifically about is you were editor in chief of your high school newspaper. Tell me how that influenced the growing up of Elena folks. Yes, it was a news magazine. So it's a little bit more designy than most uh, high school newspapers. And journalism was a way to go explore the world. It was a lens by which I had an excuse to go anywhere I wanted and report something back. 
And so I would take the nice fancy camera that the school had that I couldn't afford. And I could go to downtown and take pictures of decrepit buildings. And I could go to the concerts and get in free and take pictures. And I could go to the press week of the auto show and like drink all the cappuccinos, which was like the best thing ever for a high schooler. That was my way to get out and about in the world. And that was a great way to continue to expand my world. Part of that as well, like I would actually, you know, read through the Detroit Free Press. And this is a a funny thing that also brings me out to to the West Coast is and the art section bottom half Mm. was an article about Burning Man. And I'm like, what is this thing? And I'm like, I'm going to go to that someday. And uh, eventually did through a very solar and off-grid energy type of way. It was a way to open up my world. Another thing, though, that I want to mention, I've talked about cars and like dad's side. Mom's side was all about Girl Scouts. My brother was a Boy Scouts, too, but I'm a Girl Scout Gold Awardee. Girl Scouts, you make the world a better place. And that's what I still continue on. That's so ingrained in me. and. Being part of that community, that do-gooder attitude, leave the world better than you found it. That's still what I'm doing. And I'm proving that you can do that. You can make money and save the world at the same time. Yes. Climate allows you to do that. You can make a buku amount of money. You can make a reasonable amount of money. And you still can have the biggest impact you personally can on the world. And that's a wonderful place to be. So I can see and hear the the writer in you. And I'm really grateful for you to bring that piece up as well. Talk to me about the Gold Award and um, the comparison for Eagle, Eagle Scouts and sort of your thoughts on the preparation for life of being a Girl Scout. Well, being a Girl Scout in high school means you're not cool and you're very nerdy. And for me, it meant uh, hanging out with some people that I really liked and hanging out at their house and having really great food. And that was a great way for me to get out of the house and see other ways that people lived more because there was like three of us Girl Scouts and then the two other moms were there. And interesting thing as well, the only working woman I knew growing up was the mom of my fellow Girl Scout. And everyone felt bad for her because she was divorced, so she had to work. The only other women I knew, adult women, they were all stay-at-home mothers. No one else worked. Maybe Mm -hmm. after the kids were a certain age where they could watch themselves, maybe they did substitute teaching. Mm -hmm. That's what my mom did. But besides that, that was the only working woman I had as an example And she was a nurse, which is great. But that's the other thing is like, I had to, I had to get out because I wanted to do something with my life. And there was no example of how to do that. So I just, I went out and I found it. So Eagle Award, Girl Scout Gold Award, Girl Scout Gold Award takes at least twice as many hours to do. It's just a bigger time commitment. And so it, it does take a lot more effort and focus in order to achieve that. And I mean, I love Eagle Scouts. I co-founded a company with Daniel Ressler, Eagle Scout awardee. Then employee number three was an Eagle Scout. Employee number four was an Eagle Scout. I'm seeing some type of correlation here. Uh, It worked out well. Uh, People who, who go through those types of programs growing up, 
Um, I'm not going to say they're the coolest kids. Maybe hmm. some of them are. I don't. Yeah. I haven't really met them. But in high school, being a scout, it means you're a certain type of person. And yeah, resourceful. I, resourceful and determined and being able to focus. And yeah. I'd, I'd probably say when you look at the leaders in public companies and on boards, there's probably a higher proportion of Eagle Scouts in that community or Girl Scout yeah. Gold Awardees in that community yeah. than the general population. Yeah. The ability to stay the course. Yeah. Right. I think yeah. that discipline, that discipline shows itself in two ways in the corporate world. Folks that were scouts and folks that were in the armed forces. Absolutely. Both of which I've seen as serve as filters and culture icons in hiring practices for startups. And especially so in there are, there are a number of really well-run climate tech ventures and solar companies that are uh, run by Eagle Scouts and, and Gold Award winners and, uh, and servicemen, right? And women who've been in their armed forces. So you moved out West, you went to Loyola, got your dose of West Coast life, but Eventually, we have to go get a job like your friend's n nursing mom. Well, tell me about your first job and how it got you into the power industry and what you learned there that propelled you forward. Yeah. Coming out of grad school, it was either go to D.C. or to San Francisco. And San Francisco, that's where re the renewable energy industry was happening. Mm -hmm. So I moved there. I got an internship at the International Council on Clean Transportation. I worked on transportpolicy.net where we aggregated all of the policies from around the world and put them in one place. So when, say, Brazil was looking at increasing fuel standards, they could just go there and get all of those documents and see the best practices from, from other countries. And that website still exists. And the International Council on Clean Transportation has done such great work. They were the ones that, through their funding, and their research, they discovered the VW diesel cheating scandal. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I had one of those V-dubs. I think I was grateful for V-dub trading me back cash for that clunker. Right. That polluter. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. Yeah. That yeah. Polluter. So that's just an amazing organization. Kate Bloomberg in the San Francisco office. Just amazing. Just a really great set of people very much in the policy space. And that's where I got to go to a bunch of EV conferences as well that were happening near Stanford, near SAP, you know, right by Stanford and just, you know, spitting from Tesla. So that was just a great place to start. That was the internship and I was applying and I applied cold on PG&E's website. PG&E is most progressive in terms of renewables and energy efficiency programs. And so my first job, I was a junior analyst there in finance. And I ended up running or like doing the numbers and pulling the numbers for the low income energy efficiency program and solar and electric vehicle programs. So that was almost $300 million of budget that I would pull the numbers for, make sure everything's getting sorted correctly. But to see the CSI program firsthand, that's the California Solar Initiative, mm -hmm. those initial Fund, that funding going out the door. I also saw the line item for uh, the Hinkley payments, Aaron Brockovich style. It was just going to work downtown San Francisco, putting on my blazer, feeling all, all good and having a real professional job. 
that was a good place to start. So the way that you express, actually in, an, in a wonderful article that you wrote after PG&E, your journey to tech and entrepreneurship, I think is an interesting one. I'll link to the article, which you also link to at alinafolks.com. It was written uh, in 2015, but the title is How I Went from Junior Analyst to Tech CEO in One Year. That is, in fact, a, a transformation that not a lot of folks can wrap their head around. I'd say myself included, having been in the industry for a long time, like it's the tech industry and even the solar industry in those days, like it gives you the ability to rebrand yourself really quickly. I think that does still live on mm -hmm. in, the, in the renewable sector and, and climate um, broadly. But can you talk a bit to the realization that the job you were in felt soul sucking? It wasn't where you wanted to be. How you extracted yourself from that and maintained a focus on how you could add value that eventually led you to founding a company that now many in our industry knows utility API, but it was just an idea that needed, uh, needed someone to fan the flame. Can you talk a bit about that? Absolutely. So at a job inside PG&E, it felt so passive. I wasn't actively doing anything to progress renewables or address climate. It was very passive. I took the numbers out. I did some things. And it was also the realization that my bosses weren't doing anything extraordinary either. Like, what's the difference here in terms of what, what we're doing? And there just wasn't anything extraordinary. It's like, oh, I can do that too. But I don't want to wait 20 years to be a director at PG&E to do something that does something like that. So I went out exploring, seeing what else there was to do. I went to Inner Solar while I was still interning and looked at their jobs boards that were literally posted up. And being at PG&E, I actually interviewed at Tesla and got turned down, which was yeah. funny because I showed up. Uh, I didn't own a car, but I took Caltrain down to Palo Alto and I got in a electric BMW car sharing car no way. and I drove to yeah. Tesla and I even let the, the like interview person drive that vehicle on the same loop that they take to drive to Tesla's. And I still didn't get that job. What? So returned to Tesla later. However, uh, with PG&E, I, I just knew there had to be something better again. Mm -hmm. So continue to figure out what was next. I briefly worked with, Infinity Wind, doing business development and finance, wasn't the right fit. And I also just started a newsletter of energy and tech events in the Bay Area. So it's that Venn diagram. So it's to get energy people more aware about tech and scaling. And it's the tech people more about energy events or like energy mm -hmm. and learning about that. So started that newsletter, went to InterSolar that year. More people signed up for my newsletter. I was like, who wants to go to a hackathon? I started exploring tech. I'm paying all this money yeah. for rent in San Francisco. Why am I not participating in the economic growth engine, in the opportunity? There's literally money laying on the streets there. Like, mm -hmm. that's what it felt like. And there was this company called Yo, and they only texted the word Yo to other people. And they raised a million dollars. What? And if they raised a million dollars, I could raise a million dollars for something. Yeah. That mattered. Yeah. Especially a million dollars now. Yes. Yo. Yo. I mean that that goes down in infamy. 
However, with that, I started going to tech events in my newsletter. I'm like, who wants to go to a hackathon with me? Mm. And Daniel said, yes, I want to go. We did a hackathon together. And then six weeks later, we we became co-founders. He had this idea for utility API. I knew it was an issue because I was there inside of PG&E. I knew the mentality Mm. of that company. There's a lot of people that just sit there and collect pensions. There's a lot of people doing amazing things there. But I knew the problem of data stuck inside utilities and how much of an issue that was for renewable energy companies. The pitch for utility API in that day or at that time was utility API. We get data out of utilities for solar and storage companies. And what that means is that for any home or business, you need to know how much energy it uses in order to know how many solar panels or batteries go on site. And that's the data we unlock. It's the modern API that utilities should have, but they don't. And that was the, for, for those who, like me, were users of the product. That was what it was became known as green button. And it was literally a green button that you would press to pull in the homeowner's usage data, which was literal magic. Mm-hmm. It was like no gone are the days. Like I think that folks developing solar apps today can't appreciate back in the day when I was doing Andy Black's on-grid solar calculator. Yes. I was waiting for days, weeks, months for a homeowner to send me their utility information because I couldn't get access to it directly. They and then there was a pe- brief period where they could assign us to see it and like because anyway, it was complicated. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. So hats off. I remember meeting you guys, you know, visiting Stuart and the the civic team in the same building and thinking, man, like this utility API green button thing is genius. So green button existed. It was an initiative and no one was actually doing much with it. It wasn't scaling. And there was a green button alliance of people who tried to build green button within utilities, but Utilities, they keep the lights on. They do not know data. And so that's where we stepped in. We're part of Green Button Alliance, continue to be to this day and really leading that that community. So you went through the process of raising money. Yo raised a million. How did you and Daniel go about raising money for Utility API? And how much do you remember? How were you able to talk about how much you raised early? So how we went about getting started was Daniel had already applied to be part of the powerhouse. So we're early powerhouse startup. Awesome. Got us in the door there. We had co-working space and they put us in front of like a VC and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I learned quickly and we got to a meeting with better ventures, which uh, Wes Selke, Rick Moss, Great guys. They were just down the street from us in Oakland and they're both from Metro Detroit. So I talked about Fago within the first five minutes and everything was great from there. They were our first capital through the door. At the time I was on unemployment. And if unemployment is not there to start a company, to start build a business and employ more people, like fantastic. Like I love that. And yeah. So Daniel and I started working together. I think it was September 26, 2014. By Thanksgiving, we had the first capital in the door. By the beginning of the next year, we had our first credit card payment, which the credit card payment totally failed on on the customer side. And we had to go in and make sure it actually went through, which was great. Yeah. And then building off of that momentum, we also got, um, we entered a sunshot, the sunshot 
grant thing mm-hmm. and we earned a giant check, like one of those big checks. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yes. Something else you share in common with Kyle. <laughs> yes. Being able to get big checks. Sunshot. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We were, no, we were shot, in the same room. Specifically. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we were in the same room. I think we're all in the same picture together. I need to go get a sunshot grant so I can be on the same. Uh, I can get to, I can level up. <laughs> <laughs> you can put the big check behind you. That's a good background. That's right. I, yeah. On the shelf back yes, here. <laughs> yes. And yeah. uh, then we raised a, you know, seed round and we also got mm. a sunshot grant, the official more formal sunshot grant rather than like the startup one. So there was like the startup one that was like a hundred K and we also got it was like seven eighty seven K. And then we had to do matching funding mm. with department of energy sunshot off to the races. Yeah. Uh, taxpayer dollars at work, uh, employing people, solving climate challenges and building climate solutions. Unemployment plus non-dilutive grant money equals early startup success. Listen clearly to that. Yes. You know, you said something I don't want to gloss over. There are so many people, myself included, and I would raise my hand here as a blue collar, you know, farm boy. When I was laid off in 2016 at a time where I got a severance check Mm -hmm. and I also qualified for unemployment, I did not apply. I was too proud Mm -hmm. to apply for unemployment. And I kick my 2016 year old self in the ass for that decision Mm -hmm. because it was a stupid decision. And there's somebody listening to this right now has been laid off and you've been given a gift from our social capital side of our government called unemployment that you deserve because we've paid into it as taxpayers have actually paid into it. You should use the money you already put into it. That's right. Yes. So here's to, here's to one of the least lauded startup capital sources, unemployment. (laughs) Yes. Take that time. We all hear when, yeah, we all hear when someone loses their job that they, that was when that was the impetus moment. But don't forget that the best way to get funding for your startup, there are three good ways to get funding. Your unemployment check, a government non-dilutive grant, and your spouse's job. <laughs> I was married to and, a journalist at that point, so there was no capital coming well, in there. So. Yeah, well, yeah. well, you got two out, of, two out of three ain't bad. Yeah, yeah. So we've mentioned that you're a third, genera- third generation automotive kid, and you- famously tried to bribe the um, the person interviewing you at Tesla in your first attempts at getting into the role. Why take a step out and go work at Tesla when presumably you got a good thing going with Utility API? With Utility API, the company's still around. It's still clicking. They're growing it. And it was great to even find the COO, Lynn. She, sorry, other little story, I guess. This is a the side thing. Because I had my newsletter and my website, Lynn was a high up in a tech company and she just Googled around solar company Oakland, found my website, emailed me, and we ended up hiring her and she's still COO of Utility API. That's amazing. Yes. So you leave the breadcrumbs out there for people to find and people find them. And that's that's what we're still doing here. Uh, Just amazing. So- Thank you, Lynn Wander, for being curious. Yes. So thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Daniel, for also embracing all the greatness of Lynn. And they found Devin and they've grown that company. And it's great to see them continue to thrive. 
And for me, I wanted to be part of something even bigger. I, I would wake up every day at Utility API and like, I would think, what is the one thing that I can move this company forward the most? What is the one thing I can do today to move this company forward? And then it got to the point of like, what is the one thing that I, with my skill sets, can do mm-hmm. to advance climate change solutions the most? And what that meant was working with a big company doing the big changes. And me being more comfortable talking about cars than my feelings, Tesla was a logical place. And this leadership program was available. I applied, I got in, and I was able to open that door because one of the people within the program, she used Utility API when she was doing commercial solar projects. So I had that in. The interview process was funny, you know, like, um, it was like, tell us about charging station networks and everything we should be thinking about. And I basically did that as an internship and was able to, was able to just share my story with the, the interview in, in interviews. And they're like, how come you don't work here already? And so I jumped right in awesome. and it was a great program. It was interesting to see how it evolved and how the company evolved. Yeah. It's extraordinary to see the scaling happening there. And I was part of that. We scaled delivery operations in North America, in Europe. I worked on the Shanghai factory, which in grad school, I wrote a paper about EVs in China. And then I coordinated material flow engineering for a Shanghai EV factory. Like just amazing, amazing. (laughs) Just very thankful that I just like, I'm just tried and true that bumper bowling Mm. is working out. So made it to Tesla and Part of that organization is just funny to be walking through an automotive place and not smelling that grease and not needing mm-hmm. the hard soap in order to clean your fingers after being in a factory right. or interacting with these vehicles. It's just amazing. Is there a favorite moment at Tesla? Uh, favorite moment would be when Elon said, good job. And the man, the man himself. The, the Elon? Yeah. What? Yeah. So <laughs> tell me about that. In Q4 2018, there's always there's still this rush at the end of deliveries, because uh, when you with a factory, you make the cars for Europe and then you send them because it takes a while to get to Europe. Then you make the cars for Asia and you send the cars to Asia because it takes a while to get there. And then you make all the North America cars and they're all squished in right at the end of the quarter and you need to get them all delivered. So I was working in the war room. I was running the war room. I was making sure that those vehicles were getting to where they needed to be and that those customers were ready and they had their money ready. They already had their license, insurance ready to go, coordinating all these different teams. Talk about building building the the airplane as it's flying. Um, We just put everyone in a room. I coordinated everyone and made sure we had some stats to put on the wall. And we made sure that those cars got delivered. And we hit our numbers for deliveries. That meant that Wall Street was happy and it meant that more vehicles were getting out on the road and reducing greenhouse mm. gas emissions. Hmm. So I was running the war room. Elon came through and he's like, good job. And he kept moving because it was working. Right. Yes. He didn't have to stop, which means you are doing a good job. That's amazing. Fantastic. I'm sure there are many things we could dig into about Tesla and the time, your time there. But what? You know, what we know just by looking at your LinkedIn, and obviously I've known you for a while now, is that you're not at Tesla. 
Can you talk a bit about sort of the wall of burnout and the process that far too few people will talk about, but many, many people go through of just uh, working in a boiler room that is Tesla and many other companies like it and how you um, sort of, how it affected you? Absolutely. I mean, I could say I worked in the war room, but I wouldn't think any type of war room would be conducive for mental wellness. So like within the first six months, I had six different bosses and they were high up. So that had been recruited from Apple and Amazon and they were just fired. They were just like, it, mm. when, when Elon says jump, it's how high is the correct answer. Yeah. And they were right. like, we should build it like this. You have a robust, you have a robust system that can scale in any regard. Jumping yeah. between different teams at Tesla, seeing the different ways directions would change very quickly based on yeah. management. And then I was in a role, pandemic hits, my apartment in Oakland. We could hear, we like the police would go by every once in a while and the police stopped coming by type of thing. And it mm. felt like the pandemic was like a challenge. The, it was also that what it just seemed like, what am I working on anymore? Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't in the right role for me at that point. And with everything yeah. else helping happening in the world, it just didn't seem right to be doing those things anymore for me. Mm. I wasn't having that impact that I wanted to, like I going into Tesla, I was like, okay, what is the one thing I could be doing to reduce greenhouse gas emissions the most? And at some point, my role within that company was not supporting that anymore. And I moved over to the solar side and Tesla has talked about solar being the future so many times, but it always comes back to the vehicles because that's the bottom line for that company. And so I, I believed it when it was said again, that solar and batteries are the future. I'm like, cool, it's time. They hired this great, like some great leadership. I'm going to go join that org. And it was, again, it felt like, felt bottom of the barrel. It felt frustrating. The stress of the pandemic, just it it wasn't worth it for me to stay there anymore. I went on leave and eventually left. With all the stresses in life, it's okay to go on leave too. My grandma died. Yeah. I took bereavement. It's okay to take those things. Those things are there for a reason. And it's better for you to take care of yourself so you can continue to function as a human being. Have you been curious about utility-scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid-cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. Its built-in DC-to-DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. The tracker market is complex, but you want to maximize profits when installing or specifying tracker systems for your utility scale or large distributed generation solar projects. So use Trina Tracker with its innovative technology that can cut up to 200 man hours. Trina Tracker makes installations easier and faster so you can speed up installation times, reduce labor costs, and lower LCOE to achieve optimal project value. Learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Hey, can I borrow your attention for just one minute? How many of you in the residential solar install game right now would really say that your workflow is built to win? You know, in the 2010s, 
solar was all about sales. I think that the winners of the 2020s is really going to be contractors that focus on operational efficiency. See, margins are getting squeezed and there's a ton of competition out there, but everyone has an opportunity to improve. Would you like to know the score of the value of your survey and design process? Would you like to hear about the evolution of the installer workflow? Well, then I would encourage you to join myself and my friend Jason Steinberg from Scanifly next Wednesday, the 31st of May at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Or maybe it's this Wednesday, or maybe you already missed it and you need to go see the replay at any point. You are going to benefit from the insights that we're going to reveal. The benefits of a tech-driven solar ops program, the transition from manual to digital surveys, it's all there. I hope that you will check in, tune in, register, and uh, throw us some hard questions. We always love it in our live broadcasts. Join us May 31st, 2 p.m. with Scanifly. See you there. Alina, just walk me forward from burnout to recovery and your path to, to climate investing and the work that you're doing now. With burnout, you feel stuck. You're in the darkness. Things that used to give you joy no longer do. Like I'm a foodie. I like making food. I'd experiment. I make kimchi. And then like I'd be standing in the kitchen and not know what to make and not be hungry for anything. Not even popcorn or chips, which I'm a salty, crunchy type of person. And that Ooh, me too. Uh, yeah. And fuck like kimchi funky, like all good. Give me a fried egg and some kimchi on some rice and I'm good. But with this, like to the point where it's like, I guess I, I got to figure out something to eat. What can I, what is the least worst thing I could consume right now or tolerate even like mm. spending time on. So in the midst of, of burnout and being in different places where even the food culture was really different, like Florida, like Lord help you. If you're looking for a fresh vegetable that tastes good and or yeah. <laughs> Or a breakfast burrito that, that reminds you of California or Oregon. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's um, it's very different. And it's just like a journey to go get food, actually. So in the midst of burnout, you know, it's just figuring out a new life, uh, a way to almost get through the day by day and spending time like watching informational YouTube videos on permaculture or I spend time scrolling through energy Twitter, which is a great community and continues to evolve. You know, I, I've been checked out of like the social media public life thing while I was with Tesla because that just took up all of my time. And so between like utility API and burnout, there was like this gap and it was great to see all the new voices in there engaging. And I'm like, that's cool. I don't know if I'm ready to engage in that yet. And at some point it was, it was seeing the different dynamics. There are still so few people developing like the infrastructure for the climate economy. And what that means is there's existing world and then there's the better world with a climate lens that is climate positive. And it doesn't take a lot of mind shift for that. It just needs to happen. And seeing recruiters that are solely focused on climate tech seeing investment opportunities focused on climate tech, seeing like educational sources in order to train up on climate topics. So people are confident going out there, getting a climate career. There's a good number of those types of organizations out there, but still two, three, it's like a very small number. And we need dozens. We need every flavor 
because there's every flavor type of person out there. And this world needs all of those varieties so that every person can find their way into the climate positive mindset. This also includes psychology. Like I was in Florida. So in Florida, it's 90 degrees, 95% humidity, yet have a hard time breathing after 10 a.m. I get out and try to go and not sweat too hard, but you end up taking a shower every time you come back anyway. Mm -hmm. I ran, had some little bit of air conditioning and just like keeping the air conditioning flowing as well was a whole nother thing. But the red tide happened in Tampa Bay. I was in St. Pete. The red tide happened and the entire marina was filled with dead fish, dead snakes. There was like a three foot grouper just like bubbling up, like floating like a little battleship wow. through all the other little smaller dead fish, even horseshoe crabs floating. And it's just stinky. And wow. it's just like these bloated dead ecosystem. And there's a lot of different things there. There's a fertilizer plant that dumped a lot of stuff in the water. They had a leakage and a pool. And then you had a lot of the um, pollution happening. And so it's just like, it's like revolting in so many different ways. The sights, the smell, just that like, bleh. and so <laughs> climate reality really sets in. Mm -hmm. You're like, okay, I, I got to start thinking about this more. Alina, you had a number of influences prior to Tesla back utility, utility API and, and before, how did you start to build around you the, the folks that you wanted to collaborate with and the ecosystem that you, it would help you start to think about digging your heels into solving climate through the investment lens, that Venn diagram that you talked about a little bit ago. When it came to the people that I wanted to engage with, it was the, the best people I had worked with in the past. And Kyle is a person, first money or early money in utility API. We still were in contact with each other. And the angel side of things, I knew what it meant to be a founder. I knew how hard it was to raise. And I knew the right way or what you wanted to hear from a founder in terms of growth. Because it's an important distinction between a venture or angel investment type of company versus other types of companies. And that was really important as well. And there's the mindset, there's the scalability. And with, with climate, you have these hard technologies, these hard problems. You can have the data side. It could be a scalable growth opportunity. Absolutely. And both of them can be too. These are trillion dollar industries. Every aspect of climate, agriculture, built environment, all of these things. It was the right time and the right place to work with Kyle, work with you, Nico, with Climate Avengers, and to get this moving forward. So for those who are perhaps unfamiliar, and we've talked a bit about it here, uh, and certainly in our office hours, uh, that uh, back at the end of, of February, we did an office hours with Kyle, where he talked about Climate Avengers and climate investing. Would you give an overview for folks who've never heard of Climate Avengers, the thesis, and for the, the sake of disambiguation here, Climate Avengers is an investment fund started by our mutual good friend, Kyle Cherick, in which Alina and I both operate as venture partners. So Alina, if you would, because I think you're more uh, eloquent than I had this, describe for the listeners what 
Climate Avengers is and why you decided that this is a place that you would put your attention and time among the many, many uh, opportunities, I'm sure, for funds that would have had you on as a partner. For Climate Avengers, what we're doing is finding the startups that are ready for capital and then getting more people and their capital into those scalable climate tech startups. So you're making money and saving the world at the same time. It's a beautiful thing. And that's what I've done with my career. And I can see into the startup space and see those companies that are ready to scale. And Kyle has done that. And Nico, you've done that. And that is what we're doing is we go out, find the companies that are ready to be invested in and present that to potential investors. And this is all through a syndicate and a rolling fund. Early stage, I think, is a, a, a term that needs defining. We focus on early stage, but can you help folks understand the kind of the business, maybe the traction they have, the amount of money maybe they've raised or product market fit? Like, how do we qualify the term early stage? Uh, and then let's transition into the kinds of investments we've made and where Climate Avengers um, Syndicate and Rolling Fund sit in the broader spectrum of investment into climate. There's a couple of ways to think about the investments that we are making or what early stage investments are with, say, Aether Diamonds early on in their development. Uh, they needed capital to do some of that initial development of the technologies. They had revenue because they were pre-selling diamonds made out of the carbon from the atmosphere. So that was an amazing thing. They proved that there's product market fit there. They needed the capital then on a scale more than just pre-sales to scale their technology and build the right team to do it. So that's an example of, of one of our investments. Another would be Drone Seed. Drone Seed takes drones and helps reforest the areas after a wildfire. Like they've been working on getting contracts, but early stage, it's about the hardware and the software and the technology to evaluate a site and then also figuring out seed stocks. And there's a lot of very physical knowledge and land information that you need as well. And so with that, it's, it's again, getting that early capital in the door to start to develop those technologies. You start with things off the shelf and then you figure out that there's not enough seedlings available. So we need to acquire a seedling company to guarantee that we can do everything else we want to do. Different stages, different needs based on the specific market that they're working in and the specific solution that they're scaling. I think the similarity in both of those and in Zinc and others is that we are in all cases joining an existing round and following along behind trusted lead investors. So it could be a seed or a pre-seed. It could be a series A in the case of Yada. And we are specifically looking for companies that have the potential for institutional venture scale that are attacking a large total addressable market and where a lot of the heavy lifting around diligence has been done by a big, well-known lead investor. I mean, I think in Drone Seed, we followed along behind Chamath and many other very well-respected Silicon Valley investors. I jumped in perhaps around the same time, a little after you to sort of looking at what Kyle is doing with Climate Avengers and not only love the name, but love the idea that through what's known as a syndicate, I could have a relatively low 
check commitment to something that would otherwise, I wouldn't even have access to with less than $25,000, dollars $100,000 of my own money to go in on a, 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 an institutional round. Can you talk about the evolution of Climate Avengers as an investment vehicle from being just a pure syndicate on AngelList to now a rolling fund? And a little bit of context for the community, for those who haven't been part of the tech space, there's a platform called AngelList. And instead of individuals needing to do all the paperwork, AngelList takes care of that. And because of individuals banding together, they can participate in a round that otherwise a startup wouldn't want to talk with somebody who wants to make a one to $5,000 investment. That's not worth the startup's time in terms of paperwork. So by bringing people together that can make those smaller check sizes, that gets bundled together into the syndicate as a round. And then that syndicate check participates in a round that that company is currently leading. So say a company is raising $5 million, a syndicate can pull together 100 to 200 K, or if they're raising less, it's a bigger portion of the funds that 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 startup is funding. And you're able to participate in the round in ways that you otherwise would not have any access to. So that's a great way, an innovation in the finance space with AngelList, with syndicates that really opens up the market for different ways to deploy capital. And an extension of that beyond the syndicate is the rolling fund. So instead of Kyle and you and me saying, this is a great company to invest in, hey, syndicate participants, you should invest in this in company with us in this round. And there's a bit of, we write an investment memo, people then respond and decide how much they want to put into that round. So there's a bit of ambiguity and a little bit of salesmanship in that process. So you're looking for those big names, those hooks that get people interested in order to get that funding together in a big enough way to get it out the door. Yeah, let me let me just enunciate. On the syndicate side, which, which you just described, for every deal that comes up, each person who has become a limited partner or has um, said, tell me when you have deals come through, we have to effectively sell the deal to the idea and say, would you want to come alongside us for every new deal that comes through the door? And each LP or limited partner that wants to consider the deal can say yes or no to joining into the syndicate because we syndicate that group of investors into one lump sum investment. That's what it means to syndicate. Yep. Then the rolling fund is where a investor invests on a quarterly basis, minimum of $5,000. And then the fund management decides where to deploy that capital. And that can be in one company or it can be in 10 companies. It's about volume of capital and deal flow. So you're taking a chunk of money every quarter. So you have this nice pool of money to deploy into startups without having to go back to that investor again and again, asking them, hey, hey, do you want this one? Do you want this one? How about this one? And instead it's saying, yes, I believe in this investment thesis. I believe in climate tech startups. And I want $10,000 of my money every quarter to be deployed into climate startups. You're really good at picking them. Go take my money, put it into companies. Let's watch them grow. I'd love nothing more than to brag about some of the LPs that we have. Uh, I wish that it were that simple. We can't. But let's just say that we have billionaires 
investing in climate adventures. I can definitely qualifiably say that, who have invested in more than a handful of our deals. And we've got some really, really cool startups that we have invested in. I'm curious to know how you consider Climate Avengers a continuation of your journey as an educator, an advisor, and a coach, and what you are looking forward to with the Climate Avengers podcast, which we have coming out in just a couple of weeks. With Climate Avengers, it's the podcast that I wish I had when I was starting Utility API. There's the tech side of things, there's the venture capital side of things, and there's the founding side of things. And I didn't know any of that when I got started. I was a low-level analyst at PG&E. Like, I didn't know anything about a term sheet. I didn't know anything about the structure of how how this tech and VC industry showed up. And that's why I'm now going to be talking with the investors and the founders in order to bring that information to light, to share that information so more people can say, yes, I am ready to start a climate tech company, or I'm ready to join an early stage climate tech company, or I'm ready to invest in a climate tech company and build my wealth through the investment, build my wealth through a career and lifestyle that is in climate, that is climate positive. It's a beautiful evolution, having gotten to know you through Climate Avengers and becoming venture partners together with Kyle to see just how passionate you are about helping folks find their place in this clean economy, our climate economy, if you will, because it can be from the outside looking in confusing to know. I call it, there's the three T's, where to put your time, talent, and treasure. Absolutely. So you're investing into the knowledge bank that someone can leverage to give them new ideas of companies where their time and talent can be invested and to know if they really do just need to have trusted advisors to know how they can personally impact climate positive action at an entrepreneurial level. Climate Avengers exists for those folks to invest their treasure. Venture investing from angel all the way through to the you know, various seed stages is complicated. So I'm grateful that you are digging in to these conversations with founders that we've invested in, with other investors that we admire. And I'm excited to see the conversations unfold and uh, to hear the feedback from folks for the, because I think you hold space for a conversation in a way, in a different way than many of the investing podcasts I've heard today. For me, it's more, it's additive because you're still going to need some of those really basic conversations in terms of the fundamentals but here we're talking about the yes and, and it's it's about the whole mindset as well, that you can make money and save the world at the same time. And that's what's happening with climate investing, with climate Avengers. And also for me, it's about the diversification of this field as well. You have a lot of tech bros, tech VC bros out there spouting the gospel of VC capital like rocket ships. And there's a way to do it that is more inclusive. And I know that getting this information out there, democratizing this information, getting it from someone that isn't a tech bro is going to be a way to get more people into climate investing, 
climate tech in general. And so that means a more diverse set of people, more diverse perspectives, well-needed perspectives that the rest of the market isn't seeing right now. And those are the ones that are going to surprise us even more and even be the bigger rocket ships because they are the undervalued markets right now. And there are so many niches, so many sectors, so many opportunities. There's something for everyone. You know, I think that the modern creator economy, which you are now fully participating in as a podcaster, is all about following along with people's journeys. And the Climate Avengers podcast gives those who would want to learn more about how climate investing happens at a very personal level. It's not something that they do that influences how our industry or world evolves. It's something that you personally can take a decision to take action on today. I'm really looking forward to the feedback as folks follow along in your journey and by extension, our journey in investing in climate tech at a very personal level, making bets on what wins and what could win in this marketplace. And in so doing, learning where the levers are and where the exciting frontier of this industry is going. I think it's important to talk about cow farts because there's a great way, because <laughs> we are investing on the bleeding edge of climate technologies. And one of those companies helps manage cow farts. They really do contribute to a very, uh, to the greenhouse gas emissions. It's methane, it's bad. You need to control cow farts because people like eating cows and there's a lot of cows. So I love this idea of by participating in in Climate Avengers, you're learning about all these technologies, which are also hilarious. And even your kids can understand that these are the companies of the future. These are the problems we need to solve. And I imagine even I imagine the Thanksgiving table and like like I just imagine the cow farts coming up. And I just think that's hilarious. And and that's OK. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm calling it now. I'm going to advocate for our first Climate Avengers swag to be a t-shirt that says, we need to talk about cow farts. Right. And then, and then your kid becomes an evangelist about like cow farts and just like won't stop talking about them because they're way too educated yep. about cow farts. I love that idea. And, and kids are the best, like, you know, propagator of knowledge and just like talk about virality. You know, it's just the whole playground talking about it. So why not? Alina, you know, you've been on quite a journey and one that I've had, you know, it's been an honor to to watch you evolve from the early days where I was a fan of Utility API and the things that you guys brought to market there. Can you bring it full circle and sort of encompass for us the overarching narrative that is Alina folks, not only how Climate Avengers fits in, but how you've now conceptualize this reimagining of your career. Yeah. With what I'm doing now, Climate Avengers, this Climate Avengers podcast is part of this broader vision of climate wealth. So what is wealth? It is making the world a better place and building financial and social and individual like development wealth, right? Like I'm wealthy because I have lots of friends and I enjoy my community. Those types of things. So where do you put your money? That's climate avengers. That's climate investing. That's There's a lot of other ways to do that for non-accredited investors as well. So developing all of that, that message and content. So there's the wealth part that is actually the financial part. Then there's the lifestyle part. I live off grid. 
I live off grid. I know about solar and batteries and water and food and how to navigate all of that in a truly off grid, very low impact lifestyle. There's nothing wanting here. There's no scarcity in a climate conscious lifestyle. So I'm building out that part of it as well, the off grid, the the thriving in that way. And then there's climate careers. So, okay, you make money, you invest your money, you have your lifestyle. How are you making money on a day-to-day basis? And that can be in a climate career. All skills are needed in the climate industry from accountants to janitors to truck drivers. And they are needed now. And we need hundreds of thousands and millions of people changing their mindset from, oh, I'm just going to work in this sector and then I'll invest in climate or then I'll start my philanthropy. And no, this is a yes and it's an everything. It's all encompassing. That's what I'm thinking about in terms of climate career coaching as well. So there's different aspects of it. And it all for me comes into climate wealth. And I'm here with this podcast, getting started, getting the word out about this. We're here doing this ready to get more people into climate. Yeah. In the solar industry alone, just one of the islands in the archipelago of climate wealth, the solar industry needs about 6 million new jobs. So we will spend a lot of time thinking together on how to help folks find their unique role, their offering. I think it's important that you mentioned the accredited investor piece. We'll touch on that in episode one of the Climate Avengers podcast, which everyone should go subscribe to. Why don't you go ahead and let everyone know how they can reach you if they're so inclined and how they can follow along as well. Yes, find me on the Climate Avengers website and my own personal website, alinafolks.com. I have lots of tips and tricks about book recommendations to how to get into climate tech and many different aspects or even just networking. I have a, this like my biggest podcast uh, blog ever was how to network as an introvert. It was Mm -hmm. great. So lots of information there. And to entice folks to go check out all of the resources that we have, we're going to give away one of uh, Elena's tactical pieces of career advice over on the blog so that you will uh, be incentivized to go over there and check out and click through some of her other links, find out, find the Climate Avengers link there, as well as her personal website, what is this This five tips PDF that they'll be able to download? Yes. So it's five tips for career change confidence. I find like a lot of people, they think that a climate career isn't for them. And just changing your career in general can be stressful. And this is the way to really change your mindset just to get started and start to think through that process and what that would mean. So I put together this, this PDF for that reason, and it's uh, available in the show notes. Love it. Uh, We'll tell you how to find those in just a moment. I want to say thank you, Alina, for taking the time to join me on Suncast. It's been a long time coming, and I want to encourage everyone who's listening, please go check out the Climate Avengers podcast. Go ahead and subscribe. The teaser has already been published. If you didn't hear it already in the Suncast feed, go check that out and subscribe to the show. The first episode is coming out very soon and an exciting season one for sure that taps into the core elements of what it looks like to actually invest your time, talent, and treasures in climate finance and the climate evolution that we are all involved in and responsible for. Lena, I'm 
fan number one. Can't wait to hear what you uh, are bringing to life, what we are bringing to life together. Thank you, Nico. It's been an honor. Well, that's a wrap on today's insightful conversation with my friend and fellow climate Avenger, Alina Fox. And as I mentioned in the intro, if you'd like to follow along with us as the Climate Avenger story unfolds, you can do so startup podcast style by subscribing to our self-titled EP. (laughs) The podcast actually launches in a couple of weeks. Give the trailer a listen, would you? Subscribe to the show over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please go over to resourcelabs.co. That's resourcelabs.co. Sign up to be notified when new episodes are released. We've also linked there to the Angelist Rolling Fund so that you can look into that for yourself, those of you who are interested and qualified. If you've ever wondered how you can invest your treasure into climate action, or you're looking for specific details about how to raise capital for your own venture, we are going to be giving it to you straight from the entrepreneurs and investors that we've discovered along the way. And if you think that you'd like to be a guest on Climate Avengers or have a recommendation for someone you'd like us to interview, please submit the details on the show page over at, you guessed it, resourcelabs.co. I hope that you'll tune into Suncast again next week, of course, as we'll hear from the always insightful Kimberly Sentara. And I get a chance to interview none other than the CEO of Dominion Power, Mr. Robert Blue. And of course, if you are eager to keep learning, well, you, my fellow Philomath, can find the resources and highlights from this and every other discussion, along with the social media links, book recommendations, and all the rest of the goodies that Alina and I talked about in this episode over on the blog at mysuncast.com. I want to thank, once again, our sponsors. We all make this content free to you each and every week. You can learn more about them and their offers at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also where you could learn how to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, solar warrior. It's half the battle.